In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I recap the first two games of the Sixers' second-round playoff series against the Atlanta Hawks, going over the disastrous first half of Game 1, which led to them finding themselves in a 1-0 hole, the adjustments, which led to the convincing Game 2 win, and what to look for as the series heads to Atlanta. If you're not already an Athletic subscriber, head on over to theathletic.com slash SixersBeat. We can get a discount on a yearly subscription. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. We get the benefit of the time of the week when we were going to do this podcast was after game two, so we don't have to overreact and panic to game one. But how you doing, Rich? I'm great, man. And I, I don't you love when that happens? You know, the <laughs> NBA calendar, there are a lot of times when we, we like to record after games and the middle of the week is just... Maybe there's a back-to-back. Maybe there are no games going on. To to have a nice Tuesday game, so we're in the middle of the week, and able to react is perfect, number one. And number two, I feel like this has happened a lot. The bad game is when we don't pod, and then they come back with the good game, yeah. so we can be pretty happy. It's uh, Look, it's it's been a more, it's been a happier podcast, because <laughs> if this was Monday, this this might not have been would, so hot. Would not have been nearly as happy, that is correct. Um, so the Sixers on... Tuesday came out with a 118 to 102 game two victory to even the series at one game apiece. Uh, that was a game that the Sixers held control of for most of the first half. Came out, played strong in a third quarter. The bench came in, yada yada yada. It was a close game. Atlanta actually took a <laughs> a well. That that was a recap for the first half. The third quarter was actually a little bit of the starters who started to give the lead away. The uh, bench started coming in. Atlanta held a one-point lead late in the third quarter, and then Shake Milton, the guy that we were all expecting to save the season, went off uh, with, what was it, 14 points there in the last quarter and change to really swing the game. Um, You had Joel Embiid with another dominant performance. He beat his playoff career high, which he set on Sunday. He set a 39 on Sunday was his career high. He came out, dropped 40. On Tuesday, he is averaging 39.5 points per game on like 23 shots per night. He's been incredible. Those were the two stories of game two, along with the defensive adjustments. But I guess we'll take it just a step back. We're looking at it. We both predicted if Joel Embiid plays, we thought Sixers and five. Our overall prediction was Sixers and six. You're now two games into it, two games in Philadelphia. Where do you stand? Like, how do you think this series is going to play out? What's your confidence level in the Sixers pulling out a win? Still pretty high, considering how Embiid has looked. Uh, you know, he's clearly in some level of pain, but if you're going to get that level of health from Embiid, you're going to get that level of play from Embiid, which means you're going to win the series. In terms of the the games, I, I wonder a little bit if it might be six now, just because game one, you get the great Embiid yeah. performance and Doc gave the game away. That was a complete giveaway by Doc Rivers. I mean, Look, if Brett Brown coached that game, I, I can't even imagine no. what the what the next day in Philadelphia would have been like. Just making very basic problems, and that was know, honestly so. In, in this era of Sixers basketball, that was the worst coach playoff game that I have seen from the Sixers by far. Horrible. And look, it's one game. He made the adjustments. Uh, hopefully, that one game doesn't come back to bite him. But I was stunned that they came out with that game plan. I was stunned. And look, they didn't execute anything well in the first half. 
you know, the, the nine first quarter turnovers. I don't think Danny Green necessarily played a great defensive game. I don't think Joel Embiid at the beginning was at the top of his defensive game. The whole team, quite frankly, seemed like they were a little bit slow defensively. Um, that that game plan could have been executed better, but that game plan was still fundamentally flawed to begin with. I'm stunned that they came out like that. Stunned. So I, I'm pretty sure we said on like the exact words on the podcast, our preview podcast, you can't put Danny Green on Trey Young and come out in a drop coverage. And that's exactly what they did. And it took them an entire half to really adjust from that. So I'm looking at it right now from Seth Partnow of The Athletic, our colleague. Danny Green defended Trey Young in game one, 55% of the time. Yeah. In game two, he defended him 4% of the time. You're not going to believe this, but Trey Young was not as good in game two as he was in game one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and like that 55%, that most of that came in the first half when uh, it seemed like he was on on Trey Young probably 75% of the time in the first half. If you broke that down well, by half, I bet you would be even more a wider disparity. Um, look, Danny Green is probably the fourth best defender the Sixers had to throw at Trey Young. To have spent that much time, where over half of the game, he is your primary defender on him. It was a huge oversight. And I think if you had to go back, the reason that Doc went out with that game plan, first of all, I think he probably didn't know exactly what he was going to get out from Joel Embiid in terms of moving in space. So it's probably why he was more conservative in his pick and roll coverage. And I think he was really worried about, you know, Ben Simmons getting into foul trouble there early, which you sort of saw play out in the third quarter when he picked up two ticky-tack fouls pretty quickly. And I think he overreacted. And I think the cure was much worse than the disease he was trying to solve. Like the whole point of getting in foul trouble being bad, because how Ben Simmons is going to impact this series, it's going to be defensively. It's going to be on Trey Young. It's going to be taking him out of his comfort zone and making him work, which he did very well in game two. If you willingly take Ben Simmons off of Trey Young, you're limiting his impact right from the jump. So even if, like, yeah, maybe there's a risk he would have gotten into foul trouble, but the risk of him getting in foul trouble, you're willingly conceding by letting him or by not asking him to do what he does best, which is stick Trey Young, especially if you're not going to make a change in the starting lineup. And I get why Doc wouldn't want to. That starting lineup has always been great. If you're not going to make a change in the starting lineup, you got to let Ben defend Trey Young in the beginning. If he does get in foul trouble, adjust from there. And then as you start subbing in George Hill and Matisse Slybel, you can give Ben some rest so he doesn't have to defend him all night, so he doesn't have to try to navigate not picking up those fouls all night. Uh, starting off with Danny was just the wrong move. It was flat out the wrong move. And they also were unprepared with their, their coverages because in the second half of that game, you know, like you said, they put Ben on him to start and he picks up the two fouls. It felt like they were chasing it with these crazy traps 35 feet from the hoop, which were... Like, look, I, I get it. They wanted to mix things up and m- make the game a little, you know, to take the Hawks out of their exact comfort zone, which Trey was was running offense in the first half. But the Hawks were getting wide open threes out of those yep. traps. Trey is like, he's very good at finding the first guy, you know, off of the trap. And the rest of the Hawks, like, as we've learned, they could all dribble and shoot and pass. Like, they, they yeah. are very good at taking advantage of a four-on-three situation and finding a wide open three. So, like, you know, there was a little bit of aggressive pick-and-roll coverage in last night's game, but th- th- there are two things. It's it's one, you have to put Ben on him. And by the way, Ben, great defensive game yeah. on Trey. And, and Matisse, yep. great game, too. Honestly, what Trey had, like, 21-11, he probably shouldn't have had 21-11 because guess what? A couple of those I, came late when the game was over, and yeah. And and by the way, you know what else came during the game? Uh, terrible foul calls on Thibel, yep. where, where Thibel is... I don't know what he's supposed to do. It, it it was really cool 
to the Sixers were just fun to watch defensively last night. Like they, you know, if you look at the stats at the end of the game, they were much better. Their game plan was better. Doc, he made the adjustment on the double drag to switch Tobias on Trey to make sure he didn't go downhill. That's that's an interesting strategy. Like you could see Trey cooking Tobias in some ways, but it worked out. Like Trey took some bad shots from three and, and you'll live with that. He didn't have, you know, just a level of like in the first game and, and Doc said this in between the, you know, in the practice between the two games, he was getting floaters, he was getting lobs and he was getting kick out passes, the threes on the other side. The main thing you can't have is the kick out threes to the other yeah. side. And in game one, it was such, I mean, they put Ben on Bogdanovich as kind of like a roamer and he played it like he was playing against Russell Westbrook. And I think combined with with Bogdanovich and Herter, Ben saw Young throw the ball over his head three times and those guys drill threes. Like you can't help that far off those guys. So it really, it was a crazy game plan in game one. But game two, like not only was the game plan better, the activity level was was better. You have, I mean, the Sixers just make plays that other teams don't make, whether that's Embiid swatting that Capella, the lob to him, whether that's Ben Simmons, literally Trey Young on a switch for some reason, you know, they, they run a, a pick and roll with Thibel and Simmons. All right, the Sixers figured that one out. You could, you could switch that one. Ben Simmons inhales a 30-foot Trey Young three-point attempt. That was awesome. Thibel blocks his floater late in the game, which was awesome. It was it was just such a better performance. And, and I would just say a, like and Bede sort of like snuffing out a couple of uh lobs to Capella after getting burned by it early. Uh yeah. Yep. Um if you just look at the the shot quality between the two games, so the Hawks took uh they took forty eight percent of their shots from mid range last night. That was twenty four percent in the first game. They were, I mean, they shot 47 threes in the first game. It's just it's a bad defense. Uh, so they did a really good job of running them off the line. You know, Young and Bogdanovich had bad games, but to be fair, like Gallinari and Herter probably had better games than they will have. Uh, it was just like, look, the Sixers, when they have Embiid, when they have the correct guys matched up on Trey Young, when they have <laughs> the game plan down, they should beat this team. They should wear them out on the defensive end. Yeah, and you've really seen So I think what you saw, the Sixers have a little bit of an answer. And when you talk about having an answer for Trey Young, you mean he's going to work a little harder. And quite frankly, I thought Trey was just off a little bit too. Like, Sixers put size on him, put Ben on him. Um, he seemed like he very willingly conceded some off-ball possessions that he wasn't conceding in the first game. Like, he was just, he was content being an off-ball player more often than I would have expected. And Trey Young is not an effective off-ball player. Like, he just kind of stands there. Um, so I think the Sixers got lucky a little bit, but I do think Ben is, uh, very, very good at making him work hard. His, and his eyes are not going to be like lighting up on every possession in the way where Danny Green, like he could just reject the screen yeah. and go right by him. Yeah. You can't do that against Ben Simmons. No, no, you, you can't. And it, it certainly, I think, I think I expect Trey to come back and have a much better game three. Uh, but when you do look at it, I think the Sixers have a much more viable solution to Trey Young than the Hawks have of the Joel Embiid problem, who's just absolutely cooking right now. It is a joy to watch. Quite frankly, I thought even at times in the third quarter, which was just a complete like show of force in his skill level, uh, he was. I thought he was settling at times. Like there were some jump shots. He probably towards the end. Yeah. yeah, but like you just see the way the number of ways he can beat you 
is just so Crazy. impressive. And when Capella got that lob on him and Joel came back and I oh. feared for Capella's life, like Joel had a look at him. You could tell he, this was not going to be a turnaround jumper. This was not going to be a fadeaway. He was putting that dude under the basket. He made Capella look so small, like so like he shouldn't have even been trying to defend him. And Joel can have those moments where that's why you look up and all of a sudden he's having nearly 40 points per game on 54% shooting, getting the line 15 times per night. Um, they have no answer for him, whether that's Capella straight up, whether that's a double team, nothing they are doing is bothering Joel at all. The closest they got is, I mean, he almost got ejected. That's close. That's best. And quite honestly, like Joe's got to be better about keeping his composure and not who did he push? Gallinari? Was it Gallo, Gallinari? Yep. He's got to keep his composure because if you see that and you're the Hawks, you go, all right, we're not stopping this dude. Let's try to get under his skin and see if we can get him ejected. Like, that's really their only way of stopping him. He's got to be better at that. But 39.5 points on 23 shots per game in 36 minutes. Just incredible. On a torn meniscus. I have I really have no words, which is bad because I'm a podcaster. I should have words, but I have no words. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABasketball and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic. Plus, up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABasketball. Make your first deposit of at least $10.00. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas, Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge sports betting is void in georgia hawaii and utah and other states where prohibited commercial offers not available in nevada and new york don't forget if you haven't signed up for bet mgm yet use the bonus code ta basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to the athletic plus up to a one thousand dollar first bet offer on your first wager the so i'm a little curious like in the next couple of games is capella just going to start flopping that's his only chance he has against him because like you said he got dunked on on the pick and roll by Capella. And by the way, Joe has gotten dunked on two or three times yeah. in these first couple games. This is – that's the other thing which is so underrated about his series. You know, he's playing on this torn meniscus and people are saying, okay, maybe it's a small tear because he looks good. Whatever. The dude is clearly not 100%. This is not a series he can rest on defense. No, like, this is the exact – if you were going to pick one weakness of Joel Embiid on defense, this is the exact team to exploit that weakness. There, there's not going to be a harder – I mean – I guess well, if like the Nets Brooklyn, play like yeah. five out, okay, yeah, maybe that'll be tougher or whatever. And, and that's just because Durant and Kyrie are just going to rain shots down on. But I would say from a just how much of a load he is putting on his knee, I don't know the the sports science term, whatever. Like the amount of pressure he has to put on his knee and the amount of quick cutting and and just straight up running he has to do. 
this is crazy. Like yeah. Trey Young really puts a lot of pressure on you. And you know, as much as we're making fun of Capella on the other end, he puts a lot of pressure on you as a lob guy. Yep. So so he gets dunked on hard, like left-handed dunk. The whole Hawks bench goes crazy. Which, by the way, they should go crazy. That was an exciting play, and the crowd's like, you know, a little bit, you know, hush. They they don't know. All right, they, I can't believe these guys got back in the game so quickly. Like you said, for him to just dunk right on Capella's head. That is the best encapsulation of Joel Embiid's season so far. He is he is Thanos. He is inevitable. He, it's unbelievable how how good he is. And like like you said, he he has the great dunk in the second quarter. But that third quarter, I agree with you. He was settling a little bit at the end. But the reason he was settling was because like the ten points he scored at the beginning. That was about as versatile and pretty a 10 points as you can get. <laughs> he ran. Did you see the one play where uh, I guess it was Curry and delayed transition? They ran a 5 1 pick and roll where, like, obviously Trey is not even going to be anywhere near him. They ran a 5 1 pick and roll and he makes a 20 footer, just, just drills it. And after he makes a nice Euro step, like in transition, which is crazy, then he banks one on the short roll. Like, and then, <laughs> yeah. and then on the last one, he, uh, he popped for a three. He was he was cooking, and then yeah, then he settled a little bit. He took some some tough ones, but I mean, there isn't that much else you can say about him. It was uh, you know he obviously didn't win the MVP, but it was a reminder, like yeah, okay, I didn't win the MVP because I didn't play every game this year, but I've been probably the best player in the NBA on when I've been on the floor. Maybe maybe Jokic has been close to that level, but it, it's certainly not the uh, the gap that we saw in the in the voting at the end of the day. Yeah, no, and look, I'm not going to get on this podcast and say Jokic sucks and no, I mean, look, if you're asking me who you you'd ra- who would you rather have to make a run to the finals? I'll I'll go Joel, that's fine. But uh Jokic had a phenomenal season. I'm not going to badmouth it. Um but Joel's had an MVP caliber season too and he reminds you of that in these first two games. So, yeah, and so I guess to to get back to your initial question, if they're going to get this at bead for the entire series, they are going to win. Yeah, I, 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 I'm still fairly confident. I agree with you. You changed the six now because they stole that one game you weren't expecting them to. You wasted a good Embiid performance at home. Uh, all that stuff extends this series, I think, longer than I expected. But if I were going to pick a team, I still think the Sixers are the favorites to win the series. Um, even as much as people might have panicked after that first game, which rightfully so. That first half was disastrous. Disastrous. It- I mean, it is a it's a big difference going down to Atlanta. That's going to be a very good home team. Good, home, good team. home team. It's going to be a jacked up crowd, and there is a difference. Like it would be a lot better if you went in there and just said, "All right, we need one of two, and then this thing can end in five when when they go back home to Philly." Now it's a little bit different. They have to uh, they have to pick it up. I mean, I, I think it's going to be tough. Like like you said, Young is going to be better. I would just say like. Simmons did a great job on him. Thibel did a great job on him. But you can see Trey can still get into the pain on these guys. He can still create his his three point attempts. It like you said, there there is more of an answer from the Sixers standpoint than than the Hawks have for Embiid. Because by the way, if they double Embiid at any time, they're getting a great shot. Like Seth Curry is going to be wide open from three. Um, but but like I expect Trey to be better. I I just it just seems to me though that as the series keeps going on. I, I, I do feel like the Sixers have a chance to wear these guys down with their with their defensive length, their activity level. I saw a quote from Kevin Herter last night. It was like, we had 18 turnovers. Like these guys are they're really long 
Obviously, Kevin Herter had a little trouble at the end of game one, <laughs> seeing that length. Uh, but, you know, it was a, uh, I mean, it was a, it was a fun night. And I would say the other thing too, the non-Doc thing that, that I will not blame Doc for as much, they stopped turning the ball over last night. Yeah, yeah. And some and of those, those, those game one turnovers were just maddening. And I don't think they were uh, the sign of great Atlanta defense, like I wrote in a game recap, like when you have, Dwight Howard making outlet passes off of Matisse Thibel's ass. You're not playing at your, your best level. Um, <laughs> that was that was rock bottom. Yeah, Actually, that wasn't rock bottom. Last night's first half was rock bottom. So let's talk about that. Rock bottom first half. It really felt oh, like... You're, we were... you're talking about rock bottom from the bench when they get outscored 32 that's, to nothing? That's what I mean. Yeah, right, because yeah. the, the starters had a pretty good first half. Yeah. yeah. Tobias comes out strong. And by the way, Doc made the adjustment. Tobias, what do you have, 12 points in the first five, yeah. six minutes of the game. Yep. He was disciplined. He said, this guy is rolling. I don't care. I need him on the bench. And it didn't work in the first half. <laughs> so so Doc, Doc didn't go out with the all bench lineup in the late first, early second. He had um, Tobias try to boost that group up. It did not work. And then I don't, he, after that, he brought in Ben and you had Ben and Dwight lineups, which have never really worked. Um, yeah. I don't know what's going on with that bench. Like if it's, if it's the lack of spacing with Dwight or whatever, or just that they are very up and down, but the offense of execution was at like an all time Nadir. Well, I mean, in that, the first half. that, so that those, those lineups and we'll, we'll take three lineups here, the all bench lineup, the, the, uh, Tobias and four bench players lineup, and then the Ben and four bench players lineup. None of those have ever been good offensively. What you've rested on is that the Tobias and Bench lineups have done well defensively, and a lot of that comes down to Dwight Howard. Well, this is a series. We just got done talking about how this is a tough series for Joel defensively and how they might be uniquely positioned the Hawks to um, you know, make Joel's. This might be the toughest defensive assignment Joel will have because of the way they play. That's also true to a large degree with Dwight. And the difference is when you take out Dwight's main impact on defense— he has nothing to really boost his value like Joel does in dominating um, the entire Atlanta squad. So I think because that lineup has been so heavily dependent on on succeeding defensively, now you have a tough matchup for them defensively, and all of a sudden the offensive limitations are just like, holy shit, they, what are they doing? They have no game plan. And that was overcome in the second half because Shake Milton Shake. took all of his made three-pointers from the last two months and put them into one game, which was great. I don't entirely know whether or not we can count on that for game three, but it was great to see because, quite frankly, like they were, again, they were. I think Atlanta had a one-point lead. Shake Milton went supernova. That doesn't happen. You, I mean, the series, season could be practically over. Not completely because, you know, the Sixers are still, I think, the better team, but you go down to Atlanta, down 0-2, that's a real tough spot to come back from. So it's great that Shake had that quarter and a half or whatever he had. I don't know if that means, well, I don't worry about the bench anymore. That was such an awesome stretch. I mean, obviously the, the 36 footer at the end of the, uh, end of the third quarter. I mean, that was the dumb and dumber. It was, is shake had just fouled Lou Williams on a, on a pump fake. And then he totally redeemed himself. <laughs> he was, I mean, it was an amazing. And in the fourth quarter, when By he the way, was making, did, did you have that in mind when you made your tweet? Sure. Okay, I didn't. I because I, I went to respond with the dumb and dumber gif, but um, or gif. As a computer guy, I should pronounce it the way the creator wanted it. But I say gif. Do you say gif? I say gif. Yeah. Yeah, it is tech. I know it's gif. The the guy who created the format wants it or calls it gif himself. I say gif because it seems like it should be gif. Anyway, we don't need to keep going there. Um, 
when you tweeted that, I immediately went to tweet out the GIF, and uh, somebody already beat me to it. So I wanted, I was just curious whether or not that was your intention. Yeah, there's been a decent amount of 90s pop culture on this pod already with Seinfeld and uh, and Dumb and Dumber. But yeah, I mean, the, the fourth quarter with Shake making those threes, that place was, I mean, that place was rocking when he made those threes. And, uh, I, you know, as much as, I, Doc, I, I would say that, I need to emphasize this. He lost the first game. Doc was horrible in that first game. I will give him some credit here, though, in that the Sixers have a bench unit where none of these guys are that consistent. I think he has realized that. Like, people want the eight-man, the nine-man rotation, but I'm not sure any of these players past seven, eight, you know, past probably like Matisse's defense deserve playing every game because they're just going to be up and down. And I'm going to give you a perfect example right now. Tyrese Maxey has been terrible in this yep. series so far. Like he, he botched a couple switches with Gallinari. The, the shooting wasn't good. And some of it is that he has to run offense late in games where he's being asked to do a little bit too much. So to Doc's credit, and I will say that because Shake has been horrendous for what, the past month? I mean, yeah. the Washington series, everybody on the team was shooting 75% from the field. He was falling over himself trying to score whenever he got in the game. But Doc, I think, realized like, hey, this guy, he scored 39 points on me in a game last year. And at the beginning of this season, he scored 16 plus points in seven of his 12 first games this year. Yep. So the idea that Shake could go supernova in a in a small stretch, even with how poorly he's playing, did that surprise you? Like you, you knew he had it in him sure. at some point. So to keep him alive with these bench units, I... I know it's it's frustrating to see him play 11 guys, but I think Doc has the right idea here where he's thinking like, look, there's going to be nights where some of these guys just don't have it, and and we need to be able to throw... To that credit, Shake Milton's 38 seconds in game one. Yeah. And I mean, that was that a little bit of a ridiculous sub? Yeah. I mean, he stepped out of bounds and is only 38 seconds. It, I think I've brought this up on the pod before. It reminds me a lot of when I was in high school. We were playing box and one against Malik Waynes at Roman Catholic. My coach threw me in the fourth quarter because I guess the guy we had guarding him got in foul trouble, hadn't played in like a month. He drilled two threes on me and then he subbed me right out of the game. That was that was like the Rich Hoffman memorial performance from Shake <laughs> Milton. Like, you play one minute, you screw up, get out. Um, but for, you know, he, he's been kind of giving him those spot minutes, as, as Brett used to call it, keeping him alive. And... He threw him in in the second half of the game after a bad maxi first half, and Shake was he was fantastic. And I, I don't think this means like Shake is back; he's going to score fourteen points. Here's a what if if so if he ends that quarter on the Lou Williams foul and doesn't make the heave, does he play in the fourth quarter? I think Doc, he does. To, to th- Doc's to Doc's credit, he has a pretty quick hook on some of these guys because I agree with you to some extent. Like the part of the reason I think the rotation has stayed at ten or eleven is because he just doesn't like you can't. Re- predict what you're going to get from any of them. So throw them in, see what happens uh, and, 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 and ride whoever's playing. Well, I do worry a little bit that that kind of inconsistency leads to some in, or inconsistency yeah. in the rotation leads to inconsistency in the performance, but you're relying very heavily on some really young guards and, and perimeter players to make these lineups viable. So I think there's going to be some inconsistency, inconsistency built into the lineup. So I, I agree with you there. But he does have a quick hook sometimes, and that was a pretty bad mistake biting on that Lou Will pump fake. Who Lou, Lou's been doing that for you know forever. For him to bite on that, get in the air, get those late 
quarter free throws. Um, I don't know if he comes back in the fourth. I'm pretty sure Doc Rivers had that on the scouting report. For yes, hundred percent. Well, considering he coached him, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a bad mistake. I, I wonder if he does play. I think he would have still been in the game just because. And I felt this way too. I I, I was pretty sick of Maxi by the end of the first half. Like just mm-hmm. just making too many mistakes and. Look, this is I know Maxi is like the the fan favorite, the you know, the darling everybody goes nuts when when he does something cool, but it's just it's a tough spot for a rookie to to yeah. be in and not make mistakes. And he, even, he just he just did for two games. Even okay. when even when Shake is going through that month, month and a half where he's making seemingly every wrong decision, like I still have interest in Shake long term. Like it's it's easy to forget, like a year ago, a little over a year ago, right before uh, the COVID pandemic started, um he really hadn't played NBA basketball and he was really just starting to break into an NBA rotation. He is still a young and experienced player. And Tyrese certainly is as well as a rookie. Um, all, all of these guys have some level of interest long-term. It's just, we have to deal with the reality in the day in day out of this is a team trying to make a run to the NBA finals. Tyrese Maxey is definitely down right now. Uh, his decision-making has not been great. And shake has, we'll see what shake gives you because he was, he was bad. He was, I mean, look, <laughs> It was terrible. I, there was no reason to rationally, um, logically have any confidence in Jake Milton when he entered the game. None. But so, so I wrote this in my story last night. Doc, to his credit, for some reason he got asked about. I don't even know why he got asked about Shake after the, I guess it was the game five win against Washington. Shake has played a terrible series. He's barely been in the rotation. I guess somebody had seen him shooting on the Wells Fargo Center court afterwards, which is like, you know, that's kind of like the. Uh, it's the NBA equivalent of, you know, taking an Instagram of sure. yourself at the gym. You know, I'm working Cork, hard. Cork was doing it uh, last night. Yep. <laughs> it makes for a uh, a good narrative and a good story. But somebody asked him, and Doc, to his credit, was like, look, if we go far in the playoffs, we are going to need a bunch of different guys to step up in different games. And he's like, if we go far... Shake is going to be a part of this. I can guarantee you that, which is, I mean, that's an impressive thing for him to say for somebody who had been playing awful for a month. And I really do think he, uh, he believed that. And, and he's right. Like to make a long run in the playoffs, you need a couple things. You need a star player playing like a star player. Check on that so far for the Sixers. You need a coach who makes the proper adjustments. Wish it would have happened in game one, but check in game two. Nice job. Yep. And you need role guys to just have crazy games once in a while. You need Raja Bell game seven of the uh, Eastern Conference Finals. You need, remember how bad Fred Van Vliet was in that Sixer series sure. a couple years ago? He had a couple, what was it, the game five in Milwaukee? He was the best player on the floor in the yep. second half. You, you're just going to need crazy stuff to happen. I mean, it, it's the same as true in any sport. You need Matt Stairs to hit a ball into Chavez Ravine. Like, you just need... A, a, you need your role players to I am, step I am, up. I am going to watch that highlight now. I'm going to watch that highlight now when we're done. Uh, that was a good I, call I, by Joe Buck. Yeah. Yeah. And I know Philly doesn't necessarily love Joe Buck, but that was a very good call. Um, so that was awesome. I mean, it was, it was great to see. And it was, I think we were, we were sitting next to each other when he makes the last three, I think it was where I don't know what Bogdanovich was doing. I rewatched that one. Like he just was helping off shake. Like he hadn't already made three threes. Atlanta loves to overhelp. They, they, they overhelp as a team for sure. You can get open shots if, if you move the ball well. He makes that. And we just, we start laughing. I don't know if that was, was that prior to the heat check or no, that was a fantastic 
second half heat check by yeah. Shake Milton. Yeah. That shot had a 0% chance <laughs> yeah. of going in. And it was funny. I, I told you at the time, I was like, you know what? He earned that one. He earned he did. it. He did. I, I love how in, you know, we look at basketball, like, I, I think we do a pretty good job of looking at it unemotionally and, you know, breaking down the game and all that stuff. I, I am a full proponent of the heat check. The heat check <laughs> is like when Jeff Van Gundy says heat check means terrible shot. He's right. I don't care. If you make three threes in a row, you earn a fourth one that yeah. has like a 10% chance of going. Yeah. Um, you would, you would prefer that they, that they have a little more awareness to take a good heat check, but you can't. No, no, no. To me, when the heat get... check, the heat check is bad. No, I, no, in no, my I, opinion, I, it's I, just a bad shot. I agree. Like, but there's degrees of bad and that was a, Pretty bad one, but horrible. Like I said, when you get when you get going like that, like just throw it up, see what happens. The, the key is not to take that second heat check on the next possession. Not a uh, not Danny Green's forte. D- Danny Green against this team, the the pull up threes in transition. I, I think you could probably put those in your back pocket for a little while. I know you can make them, but come on, you got you got to beat score at every possession. Let's right. Let's try and get a quarter three and, and see what, what happens there. By the way, w- when we talk about the bench too, like I understand that Maxi and Korkmaz and Milton are going to be inconsistent, but it wasn't just them. George Hill and Dwight Howard were a disaster yeah. for the first three halves of this yep. series. They they look like they didn't. I mean, that Atlanta lineup that they have, they're backups. It's a talented offensive group because they have Herder, they have Gallo. They have Lou, but listen to what I just said. You yeah. have to score points against them. Yeah. Like, and, and to get, Cork took two awful shots against Lou. Cork, drive Lou to the basket, man. He's like, he's not going to stop you. Uh, so, you know, for and George Hill and Dwight Howard were were very much a part of that badness. And in the second half, while Shake made those crazy shots, those guys got better too. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I agree. Um, all right, I guess a quick, Thoughts on Ben Simmons, who, look, he had a very Ben Simmons game, completely changed the game defensively, was not doing much offensively, and missed foul shots once again. The foul shots, I care about more than his aggressiveness, actually, in this one, uh, just because, I mean, you're seeing more hack of Ben. That's not going to stop. He's shooting, what, I think three for 12 from the line so far in the series. I think he's... 13 of 40 for the playoffs, I think, yeah. somewhere around there. <laughs> that's amazing. That's amazing. That's and it's really clearly bad. like there's a, there's a confidence issue going on, and that's not going to just magically go away until he starts making them. That being said, like in terms of his offensive productivity, like he ended up with four points on three shots, seven assists, and two turnovers. I don't really care because the Sixers were humming along offensively. Like, I think there's two conversations. There's, is his foul shooting and his lack of aggressiveness and willingness to attack mismatches, is that a concern? Yes. Was it de- detrimental to last night's game? No. Uh, they had matchups to exploit whenever they wanted to. Get Joel the ball. Get Tobias the ball early. Um, I don't have a problem with Ben not taking shots last night. Do I have concern going forward that there are going to be times where he's not aggressive enough or times where he goes to the free throw line and can't make them? Yeah, of course. I've been watching the same team you have. I just don't think last night's game, his offense hurt them. Yeah, and I think that's that's well put. That That, that is a good distinction to make. If it, It's like... You know, Doc will always defend him, and his whole point is like, we scored X amount of points. Like, right. why are you worried if about this? Every game was like this. I would agree with Doc. Yeah, but it's not. There, when he is passive. By the way, I don't think Ben looked at the rim for the final three quarters. No. And by the way, he had some chances to attack and transition. He was not looking to do that. 
He, what did he finish with? He finished with two turnovers, one of those, and one of those was on transition when I thought he had a chance to attack John Collins, and he went into handoff mode and committed an offensive foul with the with the dribble handoff with Curry. Yeah, it's I have some concerns about what it'll look moving forward. For this series, though, I don't think he really needs to be a massive scorer. If he plays the really good defense on Trey Young, that should be enough. Would I like him to score a little more? Yes. You you mentioned the free throw shooting. This is starting to get into code red territory <laughs> yeah. right now. This is really bad. And and by the way, remember last week we talked about, hey, Doc, e- ease up on people asking you questions about this free throw shooting. Like, and, and here's, I mean, this is classic, Doc. So I think Kevin Kincaid asked him last week, like, would you take Ben out of the game? And Doc, I think it is a perfectly reasonable answer for him to say, no, we need him in the game. Like, just for all the stuff he brings, he needs to get over this, blah, blah, blah. Well, even even just beyond that, just from the psychological, like, having your teams back, like, did it maybe cost them that one game? Probably not. Like, I, I think, think that was did. probably overblown. Like, they no. we were talking about a point or two. But even if the worst case scenario of it having cost you that game, you need Ben for the rest of the playoffs, taking him out for major stretches is a, a tough call. But, but it's not a ridiculous question either. And again, when Kevin asked that question, I think he probably should have specified, he was talking about that minute stretch yeah. between like three minutes and two minutes in the fourth quarter, not the entire game. When we talk about this hypothetical, would you take him out for that minute stretch when teams start intentionally fouling, which Doc poo-pooed a week ago and took him out last and night. And they did it last night, like just pretending he didn't, Say that was a ridiculous question. The uh, then I'll the, know you don't know basketball. Before. Yeah, I mean, so and it's it's. I think part of it is tied into. I, I mean, it's all tied into how poorly he's shooting because you know Doc made the point last week. If he shoots fifty or sixty percent, sixty percent, which is what he usually shoots in his career, that is one point two points per possession. It, and the six and it allows the Sixers and their bad transition defense to get set on the other end of the court where you're going to have trouble scoring against them. They're going to win that battle more times than not. It's not a long-term strategy. Now, that said, Ben Simmons is shooting. Let me see. I got the totals right here. He's shooting, I said it right, 13 of 40 from the free throw line in the playoffs. Are you kidding me? 32.5%. That is very much in the territory of, okay, we could foul this guy the entire game if we wanted to. Like, that is horrendous. And, he has clearly lost confidence at the line. Like, I don't, I don't know why, but it, it's really bad. And Doc takes him out of the game. Again, it didn't really, it, the funny thing was, it didn't really have an effect on the outcome. Like, they could have kept hacking him and Ben could have kept bricking them. There wasn't enough time for them to get back in the game, but he still made the move to, to take him and Matisse out and put uh, some additional ball handling and, and shooting on the floor. By the way, I, I guess we should mention too, while we're, uh, we're talking about Ben, Seth Curry is playing great right now. He's playing great on offense. I, yeah. I get that he's he's being targeted a little bit on the defensive end, but like really, you know, starting with that Howell Neto game, just getting out in transition, making threes. He's he's playing really well, and I would say that that two man game with Embiid when they run him off the Iverson cut looks about as fluid as it has all year. Like that is that is a dangerous action for the defense to defend right now. Um, but they put him back on the floor for Ben, and then Doc puts Ben in at the end of the game. It's like you said, it was. A very Ben Simmons game. Yeah. Um, and like you said, I think they can. They don't need a whole lot from him offensively in a series, especially when you have Joel Embiid and Shake Milton. Um, you just don't. Uh, <laughs> minor joke, but because I have no idea what to expect from Shake, but especially when you have Joel Embiid and Tobias Harris, who, uh, who, who look like they can just get whatever they want 
against this team and should continue to look like they can get whatever they want. And when you do that and you then make the passes out of the double teams, they should get shots from, from the perimeter. Um, Seth Curry is having a great series. Uh, I think they will continue to have success offensively. And what you need from Ben Simmons, the way he makes his imprint on the series is to do what he did in game two. Uh, and, and for doc to let him do that. And to Ben's credit, he only picked up, I think it was two fouls. One of them was offensive. So he did a much better job staying out of foul trouble. They need that for sure. Sure. That's and by the way, that's a legitimately hard job for Ben yeah. because he is an aggressive defensive player because he's really tall and he moves his feet better than pretty much anybody in the league. So he can get away with pressing up on guys in ways that other people can. Against Trey Young, that is hard because guess what? Trey Young is the the bullshit foul artist like I've never seen in my life. And the two fouls he got in game one, the second one was complete. Yeah. That's yep. just that's Trey Young wrapping his arm around Ben. So, and look, this is not, uh, this is, it kind of ties into the discussion where it's like, you're a great perimeter defender. That's a really hard thing to be consistently good at because the league is so slanted offensively towards these guys. Um, So that's hard. So, and you just kind of look at Ben and you have to say, figure it out, you know, like find, find a way to, to be aggressive, but also like show your hands and, and toe the line. And, you know, it's a thing where, when I say that, I understand that it's not easy to do both of those things. And in game two, I thought he did an awesome job at it. It wasn't just him. Like they they switched off onto Tobias a little bit. Matisse got more time on him in game two, but Ben did a very good job against Trey Young. Yep. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Uh, I think what what was what was the split? He went from defending him. Hold on. I have I have the Seth Park now stats not too far away. Ba ba ba. I had it up too. I got it. Uh, so Ben defended him 11% of the time in game one, 45% of the time in game two. Uh, Danny Green defended Trey Young 55% of the time in game one, 4% of the time in game two. Uh, Matisse Thibel had the other major jump. Um, so Ben and Thibel ended up defending him for pretty much three-fourths of the game, three-fourths of his, his possessions, which is what you would want, which is what you would want. Um, and, and, and by the way, so they slot Green to Bogdanovich. And I got to say, I didn't think Danny played a good defensive game either. Like he lost him a few times. He lost him once off the ball, which was unforgivable for a three. But there were a couple times where Bogdanovich cooked him on pick and roll and he made tough mid-range jumpers. You will live with that. If he yeah. is shooting those, and even if he's a little bit open, but like kind of like step back off the dribble jumpers, even if they're open, that's not going to beat. And it's not going to beat you in the same way that Trey Young having literally every option at his disposal is going to be. So. And that really is the thing. Like they, they didn't take away. You, if you look at three uh, Young's three ways to beat you, getting in the paint, kick out, getting in the paint, floaters, getting in the paint, lobs. I'm going to say four now or three pointers off the dribble. They took away none of them. None of those four. Uh, so that's not great. It's not great. They did a much better job in game two. And um, he's a player like he's a 34% shooter. So he's going to have nights where he's cooking from three. These are tough shots, but he's also going to have nights like last night where he just can't make one. And yeah. you know, one some of these, seven? yeah. And some of those shots, you know, like when they don't go it, you know, in game one, he's, he's holding his hand up and he's, he's laughing at the crowd and all that stuff. When game two, like those, those shots aren't going in and you know, the crowd's kind of laughing at him. Like that's a horrible shot. It's, you can see why, like, if you're a Hawks teammate and that shot doesn't go down, you're like, what are we doing here? Like, that is, you know, you're just bailing the defense out with that shot. So, you know, honestly, the, the one thing that you can't have of those four, you just can't have him kicking out to corner three-point shooters wide yep. open. 
You just can't have that. What I, was it? What, what, the the how much Atlanta won the corner three point contest by in game one? I forget what it was, but it was like it was the most corner threes should, the Sixers had given up all year, I think. And the 18, Sixers had like four attempts. Eighteen percent of Atlanta shots. That is the most the Sixers gave up all year. And those that that's a ma- for for those who don't know, that's a massive number. Like the the league average is around like six or seven percent. Yeah. Because the corner three is the most valuable shot in the game, besides a layup and a free throw. Yeah, so that was not great. A much better job in game two. We'll see how they react when they go to Atlanta. Like I said, Atlanta since March 1st, 17-2 at home. They have the, uh, what, I think the second best net rating over that span on their home floor. Um, They have the league's second ranked offense over that span at home and the fifth ranked defense. So they have been very, very good there for a very long time. Joel Embiid can still plow over Clint Capella, no matter where he's playing. So I think the Sixers have a chance of stealing one of these two. And that really is the goal. Get back to the Wells Fargo Center with a two to two series and go from there. Obviously, you would love to win both. But as long as you win one of the two, you can erase some of the damage that that they did in game one. Um, so I think they have a, a good shot still. Uh, I, I The game one was unfortunate. It was unfortunate because it felt like that was a game that was largely self-inflicted. Part self-inflicted, part Trey Young going going nuts. Um but you didn't have to be in this hole, but I do still think they can get out of it. I think, yeah, th- this series in Atlanta, I think there's going to be one game that's more of a slugfest and there's going to be one game where Embiid's going to have to score 45 points and, and just dominate them. Um, I-, I think a split is reasonable. I-, I I would say of the three outcomes, the most surprised I would be is if Atlanta won two. Hmm. Just because of the Sixers advantage. Yeah. Um, I, I would be- say I would say split one, Sixers two, Atlanta two. I would be pretty surprised if the Sixers won both. Um, but you might be right. You might be like, and, and unless you're telling me something happens with Joel Embiid's. Yeah, that's what I mean. Me, knock on wood. Um, and, and by the way, like I give Atlanta credit. Like they, they're pretty scary offensively. They're, they're hard to guard. And like we said, I mean, they haven't had Deandre Hunter yet. If they could get him back, that's a more versatile wing player than, I mean, Solomon Hill is not very good. I don't know why they keep start. They should start Herter. Like he's, Solomon Hill is not good enough defensively to justify the downgrade. On, but Hunter uh, is. Hunter's probably yeah. their best defender. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and that. Well, their their best perimeter defender at least. Like I think if Hunter comes in and plays, like, then doubling Embiid will become a little scarier. Like it's just more length and more activity on that end. And if Hunter is making his threes, I don't, I don't think he's shooting a crazy high percentage. I know like he is thirty two, low thirties. I think. I know he has improved this season, and it just. He's just become a better player, but it, it hasn't really shown up in the three-point stats. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm excited. Like, this is... And even if they, I th- they probably put him on Tobias, make Tobias's life a little bit tougher. Yeah, and I mean, the, the start that Tobias had last night, you just saw, like, the, the theory of... One of the things they did when they were switching on those double drags, okay, so Trey Young jacks a terrible three, and it doesn't go in. Then Tobias just beats him down on the other end of the court. There was... He did it twice where he scored on him on a cross match. The second one was hilarious. Tobias had him post up. Trey Young was the only person there. He ran away from him. He was yeah. like, Capella, you're back at the free throw line. You have a better chance than me standing here on the block. And you know what? He might not be wrong, but it just goes to show like you have to make Trey Young work on that end of the court. I thought the Sixers were probably a little bit better at that last night, but still leave something to be desired. You know, Danny Green does not give you that element 
that that well. And he, by the way, Danny Green was pretty honest about it. He was like, "Me and Matisse, you know, we stand in the corner, so they're going to put Trey Young on us, and we got to find a way to make them work." I think that's another way you can you can get back on level terms here in Atlanta if you can uh, if you can have a game where you exploit that. Yep. All right, I think that is probably a good enough place to cut it off. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. And good See luck you, in Atlanta.